Well, good morning. Will you open up your Bible to Luke chapter 23? Uh, we'll start at verse 26. Open up your app, maybe break out a notepad or a notebook. Let's take some notes and see what God has for us today. Luke 23, verse 26. It says, As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind him, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the womb that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Let's just spend some time in prayer as we're celebrating Palm Sunday today and doing this sermon series, King for All. Let's just pray and ask God to do a special work wherever you're at. We've been praying all week and we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can move anywhere and has and will. So just open up your heart and let's pray. Father, we come before you and we seek you. We seek your face and we seek your heart and we ask your will be done in our life as well as it should in heaven, Lord. We pray today that we will know you, that we will understand you. Holy Spirit, guide my words and my heart and let the cross and the story of the cross and forgiveness become ever present in who we are. Let us learn to forgive and live that out in our lives. Lord, we ask that we have more of you and less of us. We claim victory in you and ask for transformation. We ask for revelation. And Lord, today that there will be an abundance of salvation in all of us. In the name above all names, Jesus Christ, amen. So excited that you're here. And, you know, I'm really missing the fellowship of the church. And I know many of you are. I'm sure our staff is. We're kind of getting tired of being boxed in. But God is doing something. But I wanted to tell you three of my big fears or phobias in life, just so I can get to a little personal, uh, get to a place of personally connecting with you. Uh, number one, I've already kind of said it. I'm a social butterfly or social bee. I like to be in crowds. I actually get energized when I'm around people. So for me to be in this social distancing, stay at home situation is really horrible for me. It almost reminds me of those locked up days. And it's been quite um, an issue for me to deal with. The second thing, if you know me, uh, is my eyes. I have these issues with eyes, and when you talk about them, when you touch them, when you even just say the words, my eyes start getting watery, just like they are right now, because, I don't know, I got some phobia. Maybe my mom thinks it happened when I was 10 or 11, when there was an eye injury that she had, but just the eyes things are so delicate and so... I don't know, sensitive that I don't want to mess around with them. And so uh, it's, I have an eye issue and everybody always makes fun of it. And the last one is I'm, I'm a closet germaphobe. And so I don't really like germs. And at the beginning of this kind of social distancing thing, I think on March 13th, me and my family watched Contagion. And that's this really crazy movie. And it really amplified my germ kind of thing as we've gone into this pandemic. And one of my friends, Kate, thought it was funny like a week before to send me a box from Amazon of um, 
a Purell, this hand sanitizer. And at, at one point, it was a funny thing. Now I've got them on eBay for like 150 bucks a pop, and they're just a little small one. So it's been a huge blessing for my family. That's how we're kind of making it through this pandemic. But we're grateful uh, for th- that you've joined us today. And here's the thing. I want you to know that our staff, our council, and everybody that's been preaching and teaching over the last couple of weeks, we're not living in fear. We're not, we're not living in fear like this is the worst time. We're actually living in faith, and we're going through this this best that we can, but we're going to roll with Jesus. We're going to ride or die with Jesus, and we're going to walk through this, and in the end, God is going to be glorified, and wherever you're at today, I just believe God wants to minister to you as he's ministering to me, and together we will, be, uh, we will grow and, and be in a better place down the road. Today we're going to talk about the cross and the story of the cross and how it relates to mankind. And what I want to do is I want to put a lens over your eyes to hear this story. We've been doing this the last couple of weeks as we've gone through this story, uh, sermon series, King for All. And the lens today is the idea of forgiveness, how the cross relates to mankind and how forgiveness kind of works into that picture and how it mean, uh, what it means for a church person versus an unchurched person. A church person, if you're not familiar with it, would be someone who actually uses the Bible, believes in it. It's a central part of who they are. They believe in the power of it. They believe in its, its accuracy and they live by it. And they also live by the, the, the having their life centered in God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. That would be a churched person. An unchurched person would have different ideas, maybe a little bit of the Bible, but other influences, uh, maybe other religions, maybe other mindsets that guide their life. And that's the difference between a believer or an unbeliever, or churched or unchurched. So today we're going to look at the cross and talk to both sides of that, uh, the fence, the church and the unchurched, and watch God work. Now here's the main text today, or the main, not main text, but the main quote of the day, and here's what it says. It says this, forgiveness is freedom, and freedom is forgiveness. I mean, this is what we're going to try and do today. We're going to try and figure out forgiveness is freedom, and freedom is forgiveness. Forgiveness in Christ brings us freedom to communicate with God and free from our sins so that we can have an, a, right, a, a right relationship with God. But also as we become a believer and follow God, we have freedom in learning to forgive others. And that's really the theme of the message. And you'll hear that several times today. Hopefully it'll make sense and hopefully it'll become part of who you are so that you can grow. At the beginning of this text, we have this interesting story um, that kind of starts as we're heading to the cross. It says, a man uh, named uh, Simon from Cyrene came into the picture. Now, some of the information that we know is this man came from Africa, maybe traveled on the uh, upwards of 800 miles to Jerusalem to worship during Passover. Uh, and that's an interesting story. Um, and these, this man and his sons become famous Christians because this encounter with Jesus. And what's happening here is he is being drafted to carry the cross by the Roman soldiers. Now, Jesus talks a little bit about this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. And he's basically communicating on the Sermon on the Mount what it means to carry uh, the luggage or, or the uh, equipment of a soldier. And he says... If, if you're told to carry the Roman soldier's equipment for a mile, then take it two miles. Don't live in revenge and hate and anger. He's teaching them to take their enemies or, or the people that they have stuff against and do even more to show them what kind of character and what kind of follower of God they really are. It's really an interesting and beautiful picture. 
Something else that kind of is intriguing to me, maybe not everybody else, is there was another Simon, Simon Peter, who denied Jesus and left Jesus. And I'm sure at this moment in the Bible and the text, he's trying to rectify his relationship with God. But God in his uh, detailed plans brings another Simon to help him carry the cross. Last week, as we talked about Barabbas, we talked about this heinous uh, uh, cross crucifixion that was done for people that made public... um, public uh, charges against uh, Rome, and they would, if they were found guilty, be led to the crucifixion. Part of this crucifixion journey was carrying the cross, and this was to humiliate the person that had the crime. So Jesus is being humiliated as everybody that's been crucified. They walk down the streets, and they're getting spit at, they're getting mocked, and people are laughing at all of them because this is what humiliation brings to those that are dying on the cross. At one point, Matthew uh, 16, Jesus tells people, just like you and I, if you really want to follow me, deny yourself, deny your dreams, deny your livelihood, deny anything that's holding you back and carry your own cross. And he shows us this is how we get and gain life in Jesus Christ, picking up our cross and walking with it. And the beautiful thing about it is this story shows us Jesus and the man walking with the cross. And that's what Jesus does. When we pick up our cross, he walks with us like Simon does with Jesus heading to the crucifixion. As I stated before, if you look at Mark chapter 15, verse 21, and I don't have it up there, but you can do some research. This man is named Simon of Cyrene from, uh, and his father was an Alexander, uh, the son of Alexander. And we see that him and his two sons actually, because of this experience with Jesus, become followers and believers. And you see his name come in Romans chapter 16, verse 13. Him and his sons become prominent Christians because of this small interaction with Jesus heading to the cross. It's a really interesting story, and it's really kind of impactful as we're heading to the cross. Verse 27 to 31, we see Jesus start weeping for these what we call the daughters of Jerusalem. Jesus turns to the daughters as they're weeping for him. And he says, don't weep for me. I'm weeping for you and your children. He says, basically, woe to you that are going to have children because it's going to be a horrible season for you when the time of destruction comes at the temple in 70 AD. And so he's kind of giving a a foreshadow or a prediction of what's going to happen. And he says, those days are going to be so horrific. He quotes Hosea chapter 10, verse eight. And he says, we're going to, you're going to want the mountains to fall on you. You're going to hope that the the hillsides will bury you because it's going to be such an unbearable time. So he's communicating to these women saying, don't weep for me. I'm weeping for you because there's going to be a time that comes that's going to be horrific and it's not going to be good for you and your family and anybody who's Jewish. The last verse is really my favorite part of the verse. And it says, for these things are done when the tree is green. That means when Jesus is there, what will happen when it's dry? And it kind of reminds me of Palm Sunday. I got a little palm branch. You know, normally at church we have palm branches out and Jeremy comes in on a donkey, but it's not happening today. But we're using this to kind of remind you that it is Palm Sunday and God is using this time to celebrate and get us ready to go into this Easter Passion Week 
with, with, a, with a heart ready to experience God in multiple ways. Jesus says here that the green tree is him, and while he is on earth, there's great opportunity in Israel, and the country and the, the citizens of Israel are being blessed during this time because the Messiah and Savior is on earth. But the problem is, is Israel misses out on the fruitfulness of having Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They reject, they reject the green tree and it turns to a dry tree when he dies and when he ascends. And they miss out on all these beautiful blessings and opportunities. Jesus kind of communicates this after the triumphant entry story in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 to 43 and I'm going to read that but before we get there remember in the triumphant entry when they take the palm fronds and they're waving them Hosanna in the highest and they're celebrating Jesus at the very end the the um, leaders of the religious law say hey don't let them celebrate and worship you like that tell them to stop and Jesus said if they stopped even the rocks would cry out and I love that about Palm Sunday but then Jesus goes in to this time of weeping and here's what it says and I want you to see it so I put it in the notes it's Luke chapter uh, 19 verse 41 it says but as he came closer this is just after the triumphant entry as he came closer to Jerusalem he saw the city ahead and he began to weep how I wish that all of the people would understand the way of peace, the, the freedom in Christ, the way the peace and the freedom in Christ. He says, but now it's too late. The peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children. Your enemy will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize when God visited you. Jesus is referring back to this time where he's teaching the disciples about weeping for Israel because there is going to be a time of destruction and the temple is going to be destroyed and still is destroyed from that moment. And this is what Jesus is referring to. Now I want to close this off with a section. Women, listen up. And men... If you're with a woman and you have a wife or a girlfriend or you have women in your life, you should listen too. You know what? In the New Testament, there's no woman that's the enemy of Jesus. Never once do you see a woman at odds with Jesus. Through his teaching, through his examples, and most of all, his redemption, women are dignified by Jesus and elevated because of who he is and what he's done for them. The way that he taught, the way he uh, used women in his ministry, he elevates women and dignifies them like no other. And because of that, women are where they're at today. This is a powerful place to think, and this is where Jesus is trying to work through these women of, of Jerusalem. He's trying to communicate and help them. From the beginning of Jesus' birth, a woman announces his birth, and at the end, the women are surrounded with him and John at the cross. Women are a big part of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus has done so much for women and built them to be the powerhouses that they are today for those that claim Jesus as Lord. That's a Really interesting thing. So now we're going to get into the forgiveness portion of the text. Remember, forgiveness is freedom. Freedom in Christ brings us forgiveness from the sins. And freedom is forgiveness. When you have faith and you live in free, uh, freedom, you start to forgive others and your life becomes whole and right. I hope that makes sense. Verse 32 says this. Two other criminals were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place... This called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, 
one on the right and one on the left. Now, at this point, this is where the, the scripture in Luke kind of fulfills prophecy. If you're looking for some really beautiful reading to get your heart ready for Easter this week, as you're celebrating Palm Sunday, and you're thinking about what's going to happen this Easter week, and we're probably going to be social distancing for weeks now, so we have to prepare ourselves for Easter. This is a place of fulfillment of prophecy. Go to Isaiah 53, write it down and read it this week. And this will get you to an understanding of what Christ went through. It's a great uh, prophetic word about Jesus and what happens to him. And here Jesus fulfills prophecy. In Isaiah 53 verse 12, it says he was counted among rebels. Maybe uh, your translation says that he was numbered with transgressors. He's, he's counted among rebels or criminals or he's numbered with transgressors. He is counted as a criminal, even though he's not. The word uh, for these two criminals that are on either side of him in Greek, it's, it, this word is very fine-tuned to say that it's Greek, uh, they committed violence in their crime. They, they stole something. We know that they're thieves, but they committed violence. The Greek word really shows us about this violence, and it was probably murder, and because it was probably against the Roman Empire, that's why they're at the crucifixion. So the Greek really kind of says that they committed a violent crime against Rome, and that's why they're being crucified. Verse 34 becomes this beautiful place of Jesus showing us how to forgive. He's on the cross and Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And then it says, and then the, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Now, all throughout Jesus's walk in the New Testament, as he's showing us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's teaching us how to forgive but the beautiful part about Jesus, he also lives it out. Jesus constantly teaches us how to forgive. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 27, 627, listen to what Jesus says, 27 and 28. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. In this section, he's teaching us about our enemies and how we should love them. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those that curse you and pray for those who hurt you. Here, Jesus is praying for those that are hurting him. He's blessing those that are cursing him. And at verse 31, it says, do unto others as you would like to do to themselves. That's the golden rule. Do unto others. And that's what Jesus was teaching. And at the end of this teaching, here's what it says. And I don't have it on your notes, but it's Luke 30, uh, 6, 35, and 36. It says, then your reward will be great. Then your reward from heaven will be great. And you will be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate as the Father is compassionate. Isn't that awesome? Jesus not only teaches us how to forgive throughout his, his time on earth, he also lives it out, and so should we. We've got to realize that forgiveness is freedom, and freedom is forgiveness. And I've got to learn to live a life of forgiveness so that I can be free in Jesus Christ. So now Jesus is on the cross, and he's saying to, to everybody that's watching, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When Jesus says this to the people that are killing him, the Jews and the Romans that are putting him on the cross and crucify him, uh, crucifying him, you need to realize, as I've learned in my life, they are not receiving forgiveness just because Jesus is up there saying, Father, forgive them. 
The truth is Jesus is praying for them and he's interceding and he's giving them a chance post death and resurrection. There's an opportunity for them to get right with God. But just because Jesus says, forgive them, they're not receiving forgiveness. He's just interceding and hoping that they will come to know the Lord. And we will see at the end of the text, one of the Roman soldiers has a revelation of who Jesus is. We'll see one of the criminals. But many Jews and Romans, because of this, become and believe in Jesus because there is an opportunity post-death and resurrection. Let's continue, verse 35. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really uh, if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called, uh, called out to him, if you were king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fashioned above him with these words. This is the king of the Jew. You know what? This is not just the king of the Jew. He is the king for all. He's the king for me. He's the king for you. He is more than the king of the Jews. He is the king for all. If you guys have been with us for the last year or two, a couple of months ago, we talked about the providence of God, the providential blessing of God. And here we see the providential plan of God. He has two criminals on one. Uh, Jesus has two criminals on both sides of him. And both have equal access to Jesus during this time. And here's what they say in verse 39. One of the cr- criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, prote- the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Don't you fear God? This, he's now claiming that Jesus is God. That's beautiful. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done, uh, hasn't done anything wrong. In one sense, we have one guy mocking Jesus and the other one is having this great communication with God and Jesus himself. And the Holy Spirit is using this moment to help one criminal gain access to the kingdom of God. One of them is saying, are you really the Messiah? If you're the Messiah, then prove yourself. Save us and save, uh, and save yourself while you're doing it. Don't we ask this a lot about God? I know as we're going through this crazy time, through this pandemic, we're asking God a lot of questions and we're interceding. But don't we ask this a lot? God, if you were real, God, if you were there, God, if you really care, will you prove yourself by doing this or that for me so that I can really follow and I can really be a disciple of Jesus? A lot of times we're asking God to prove ourselves and that's not a relationship with God. That's really having a relationship with Santa Claus. A Santa God. That's not who Jesus is. When you're asking God to prove yourself or to do this or do that, to, to, to really help your faith, the truth is you have lim- limited or a lack of faith. And he's really not in that business of helping you kind of answer all of your little whimsical needs. The truth is he's looking for more from you. Obviously, God could come down from the cross and save himself and save, uh, save these two criminals. Jesus has the power because he is God. You know what? When I was a young believer, I'm talking like 15 years ago, I wanted, I didn't understand. 
I wanted Jesus to come down. As a young believer, I didn't really understand the full work of the cross and the beauty of the cross. I wanted Jesus to come down because I'm a marketing guy. And I'm like, if he would have came down, everybody would have saw this and would have been talking about it. But it would have just been a miracle and it it wouldn't have been the final work that Jesus does on the cross. Jesus stayed on the cross and didn't come down so he could do a greater work for me and you so that we can have the forgiveness of sins and live a life of freedom and a life of freely connecting with God from that moment when we accept Jesus into our heart. The work of the cross brings us freedom from our sins and uh, we are washed clean because of that and now we have great access to God and we also have this saving grace that comes from this. This criminal didn't want forgiveness and he really didn't want a king. This criminal just wanted down off the cross and be saved so he can go out and continue to live his life. I kind of feel like that's who we are and where we're at a lot of times in our own life. My buddy John Urango sent me the text. We were kind of texting, checking in on each other. And he was saying, and this is his credit, not mine, but he says, today this world, all we want is a cure. We don't want a king. And the truth is, the more that we cling to the king, the better chance, no matter what happens, we will be cured of sin and we will have this saving grace of God working boldly within us. God is using this time in my life and he's using this time in your life to help us understand the king for all is more important than the cure for the pandemic. Yes, I want a cure and God will bring it in time when we, when we are ready for it. But no matter what, he is the king for all. And we need to put our hope in the king and not a cure. Verse 42 says, and then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here now, the criminal that was for Jesus and knew that he was God is now asking him, remember me when you go to heaven and meet your father. Remember me when you go to to your kingdom. He's now confessing that he's a sinner. He's believing that this man is God. And now he's asking him, let me be a part of this. Remember me as you're heading to your kingdom. And Jesus replies, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. At the 11th hour and 59th minute, as this man is hours away from death, he is accepted into the kingdom of God. I had the opportunity of one of my friends passing a couple of weeks ago, and I got to pray the salvation prayer with him, and a few hours later, he died. God lets people in even at the last minute, and that's some of the beautiful work that we see God does on the cross. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He, God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He is so kindness, he is so kind and rich in grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and then he forgives us our sins. Isaiah 43, verse 25, I love this. It says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and I will never think about them again. God alone will blot out those sins. When we accept him and we allow him in, he will blot them out for his own sake. And then it says, he'll forget about them. I often remember my sins and kind of drag myself into the mud and I know many of us do, but God doesn't remember them. And he wants you to realize that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and that you have freedom to walk away from sin and more uh, like Jesus as Jesus walked on this earth. Let's continue reading. Verse 44. 
By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. I just love that part. I remember a couple of years ago, Jeremy put together this sermon series, The Last Words of Jesus. And this, this just never left me when we did that sermon, that he just breathed his last, and that was it. The finished work of, of the cross was done. Jesus says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And then he leans over and dies for you and I. It's a beautiful work of God and it's a wonderful show of humility through Jesus Christ and what he did. Do you realize what he said though? It's Psalms 31.5 and this happens to be a Jewish prayer for a, a mother putting her kids to bed. Uh, as a kid, I was always put to bed and I'd say that now I'll lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul, the Lord to keep or something like that. This was an actual Jewish woman's prayer to her kids. I'm sure she would do story time and tell stories and get them ready for bed. But the last thing that she would say is Psalm 31.5. Write it down if you don't have it. Psalm 31.5. Here's what it says. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. As a, as a Jewish woman would put her kids to bed, she's like, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. Jesus is now in the hands of God and he is doing some spiritual work. There's eternal work that has now been paid and that debt is now paid in full for what Jesus did on the cross. And it's a wonderful, powerful work. And we see, as we've been walking through it, the mindset of forgiveness and how it brings freedom and access to God like we've never had it before. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the darkness that's happening. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, it, there, there was a, a statement that was said in the garden that the, the hour of darkness is now. The darkness is reigning, and, and, and for the next 24 hours, darkness was reigning. Jesus was arrested, and he was beaten, and he was betrayed and denied, and he was at a trial, and, and now he was sent to be crucified. And now the hour of darkness, uh, 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 the hour of darkness is reigning, has ended. I want to give you what we call apologetics. If you're not a Christian believer, if you don't understand the word, it's just kind of explaining, is this really true? As we get into Easter week and we talk about Palm Sunday and the passion, uh, uh, the passion drama that will happen this week, we talk about what happened on what we call Passion Friday or Good Friday. Did this really occur? In uh, 52 AD, there was this man named Thallus who wrote the history of the Middle Eastern war, uh, world from the Trojan War until his own personal time. This man's name was Thalus. And there was only a fragment of his writing that still left. And a man in 20, uh, 221 AD found some of the fragments of this man writing about this time. And here's what he writes. This guy named Julius Africanus writes about this time of darkness that this historian uh, 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 celebrates. He says this was a cosmic report on this crazy day that occurred. And here's what uh, Thallus writes. He says, on the whole world, there was oppressed most fearful darkness and the rocks were rented by an earthquake 
and many places in Judah and other districts were thrown down. In essence, what he's saying here is this man Thallus reports from a different place that, that, that the rocks were uh, thrown down and there was an earthquake and there was this really weird, fearful darkness that happened on the earth. The last thing that it says on this, pe- uh, this piece of paper that Thallus writes, he says, it appears for no reason that this darkness occurred. He wasn't at the cross. He didn't know Jesus died. The interesting thing is it proves that Jesus died upon this uh, uh, during this day and it was recorded in history in what we call non-biblical or extra-biblical writings and it can be found and it proves that Jesus died and the earth did amazing things that day. It was like the earth was sympathizing with the death of Jesus Christ. The darkness was part of God's plan and the earthquake was part of God's plan and the tearing of the curtain down the middle from the top to the bottom was part of God's plan. It was like on Palm Sunday when the rocks would cry out, they were celebrating Hosanna in the highest and now at the end as Jesus dies, the earth is mourning the loss of Jesus. Now, I'm kind of a numbers guy. I like the, the numbers in the Bible, and the numbers have significance, and the number three has significance. In three days, we're going to come back next week and see what happens to Jesus, and for those that know Jesus, he rises, but the number three is a biblical number that d- represents divine wholeness, completeness, and perfection, and Jesus uses this number, and the Bible has it all throughout the Bible. And this is kind of about 50% of the people believe this. But here's just an interesting thought. And some theologians think that Jesus uh, died on April 3rd, 33 AD. That's just kind of a three number. I, I, I don't know how exact that is, but that's one of the things. But here's some really interesting things about three. On this day, the text said, three hours before he died, it turned dark. Before his death, before the Lamb of God died, before the first bu- firstborn of, of God's son died, there was three hours before. You know what's interesting? Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 says, three days prior to that first Passover, that first time when the firstborn of everybody that wasn't Jew or who didn't put the blood on their, on their doorpost died, three days before it was dark. This moment of three hours was significant just like the three days before the first Passover. Let's conclude our text and move on. Verse 47, when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. What a beautiful moment. This man, I think uh, the Greek says he's an actual centurion. This man who's a leader that's overseeing this execution has this revelation. This man must be God and he is innocent. And so he starts to worship him. This is, this is a powerful testimony of how people around Jesus in any way, shape, or form, even today with the Holy Spirit communicating about Jesus, have the opportunity for revelation and transformation and new life in Jesus Christ. He has this revelation and sees what Jesus did this whole time on the cross and how he was praying and interceding and communicating and not cursing like the other two criminals about the wrongs that were happening against him. Verse 48, it says, When all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home with deep sorrow. The Greek says they were banging on their chest in sorrow banging on their chest, just broken and sad about what had occurred. 
and 49 says, but Jesus's friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Sad, broken, but I know at least Mary, Jesus's mother, had to start to wonder, was this just it or was there more? Well, there's definitely more and we're going to celebrate that next week. But here at the end of the cross, as we've looked at the concept of forgiveness, the finished work of God is done. God sent his son into the world. And as his son came to the end of his life, the blood and the broken body became an eternal offering for the world. And all that believe in Jesus Christ now have their sins forgiven and live in this place of place of freedom. And now they have free access to God. They no longer need to go to a priest or a rabbi or anything else. They have this opportunity to really receive the Father's heart and become part of the Father's plan. And all of that's done by the Holy Spirit. The Father has received him and the eternal debt is paid. Forgiveness of sin has occurred and our relationship with God is forever changed. At this moment, the cross intersects God's love and God's justice. God brings divine forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And because of that, faith in Jesus Christ changes the way that we celebrate and live our life with God and for God. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are free and we are the righteousness of God. And in three days, we're going to see that we have even more. And we'll hopefully you will tune in next, next week and celebrate Easter with us. Here's a couple of thoughts. In seeking him and seeking God and seeking Jesus, we receive, we receive forgiveness and faith and friendship or fellowship with God. In seeking God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we receive the forgiveness of our sins because of the, the beautiful work of, of God on the cross through his son. And in that, we can have faith in God by believing in Jesus and have friendship with God. I don't know about you, but when I was lost and when I was unchurched, I didn't know that I could be right and have a friendship with God. But today, I don't even know what my life would look like without really having that friend in Jesus and that connection that the Holy Spirit brings to me And I'm tr- as I try and seek the Father's heart. In seeking Him and seeking His Son and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak, we receive so much. Listen to what Martin Luther King writes. This is a really powerful verse, and this kind of brings us to the close of the message, the so what part, and some application as we leave uh, this Palm Sunday and as we go back into our pandemic stay-at-home mode. Here's what it says. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. That's something we need to understand. Listen to what he writes. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less less prone to hate our enemies. We must develop and we must maintain the capacity to forgive. If we don't forgive, we don't know love. And if we don't know love, we can't love our enemies. And that's one of the things that Jesus taught us. Forgiveness is freedom. When we accept Jesus as Lord, he brings us freedom, freedom from our sins, and we no longer have to live in that sinful life. 
But when we accept him, we have freedom. And we then have freedom in our life when we understand forgiveness. When I live a life of forgiveness, I'm living in the freedom that God has given me. I can't forgive on my own. The truth is I'm a selfish, self-centered man and my thoughts can be evil. I know it's shocking, but they can be evil and want revenge. But the truth is when God starts to work on me and tenderize my heart and soul, he gives me the love that comes from above and I start to forgive and and and, and not want uh uh, anger and enmity between my my uh, adversary, but I want to love them and I want to pray for them like Jesus prayed for them on the cross. We must develop and maintain this capacity to forgive, to really grow in our faith. The Apostle Paul writes something very similar in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And this is kind of our action verse. This one kind of makes this message kind of get up and go. When you accept Jesus, you get the freedom of your sins and your forgiveness of your sins makes you right with God. But really, we need to then bear with each other. Here's what it says. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievances against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the action verse and the Apostle Paul, one of the great writers in the New Testament, communicate that to us. That I need to bear with another person and whatever struggle I have with them, whatever grievance I have with them, and I've got to learn to forgive them so that I can have a, a better life in Christ as I live on this earth. I need to bear with them. A lot of times my prideful position hinders me from forgiving someone and ultimately loving someone. Jesus wants me to love my enemy. He wants me to bless those that curse me. He wants to pray for those that are hurting me and hurting my family. And if I don't break through this prideful, selfish person, I'm not going to live in the freedom that God has for me. We need to learn to forgive others so that we can have freedom in our life with Christ. Here's one of the last things I have. It's kind of a, 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 something that came to me. It says, there are no believers without forgiveness and no for followers without forgiving. There are no believers without forgiveness. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have received the forgiveness of God in all of your sins, the sins in your past, the sins that you've done today, and the sins in your future have all been forgiven. So all of us that believe, we receive forgiveness. That's the beauty. But there are no real followers, true followers of the text and of, of Jesus and living out the, uh, a life with the Holy Spirit guiding them. There's no real uh, follower that's not living a life of forgiveness. Forgive as the Lord forgave. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If you have a, uh, a grievance, forgive as the Lord forgave. And that's what we're trying to do today. We're trying to see the beautiful atoning work that Christ did on the cross. That brings us a level of freedom that we've never had before. And that's one of the reasons that we're celebrating this wonderful Palm Sunday. But if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, the word is, is, is your life and, and, and God is the centerpiece and Jesus is the one that you're trying to live like and you're listening to the Holy Spirit. If you're not forgiving other people, you're not really living the life that Christ wants for us. You're missing out on the true freedom that you can have. Forgiveness brings great freedom and we need to live in that forgiving life so that we can live in that beautiful uh, freedom that Christ has for us. 
You know, as I close today and as we get ready to pray, about six weeks ago, uh, I was doing a devotion, and it was Psalm 27, and one of the verses that stuck, stuck out, uh, stood out to me said, My heart says, Seek your face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Psalm 27, 8. And since that moment, I've been trying to seek the face of the Lord. I've been trying to kind of think about what he looks like, how, how he would look at me and how he sees me and what he smells like and what that beard looks like and just kind of the, the wrinkles and the crow's feet and all the beauty of this man trying to seek his face. Listen to what Psalm 105.4 says. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Look to the Lord and his strength and, his strength and seek his face. As we close today, as we walk into Passion Week, as we conclude uh, Palm Sunday's message, my challenge is that you will start to seek his face this week. Maybe spend some time in prayer, maybe fasting, maybe getting ready for a Wednesday night message that we're going to have or the Passion Friday that we're going to do. Or sitting around and thinking about how you can invite people to a watch party or something online for next Easter, which is going to be a great day to celebrate. Even though we might be distancing, we're still going to celebrate Easter because Easter is never going to be canceled. Wherever you're at today, I just want you to start to pray and seek the face of Jesus this week. And let's live a life of freedom in Christ and if you don't know Christ, you can receive uh, forgiveness from your sins and start living this free life to celebrate God in Jesus Christ. So let's just bow our heads and pray and let God work wherever we're at. Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you that even though we're distant, your Holy Spirit is moving powerfully wherever we're at, wherever we're watching. Lord, I ask that this message and these words and the words that were read from your from your Bible will go into people's heart and challenge them and shape them and move them to live a life of freedom and a life of forgiveness. Father, whoever needs forgiveness right now and has a stronghold of pride in their life, I ask that you break it down and that you move through the Holy Spirit to, to help them walk in a new life of forgiveness with you, Lord. And for those that don't know Jesus, those that are unchurched or, or lost and are wandering and maybe they've just chimed in right now or are just looking right now or they've been watching this whole time. And if you've never said the prayer of salvation, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, you haven't received the beautiful forgiveness of your sins and the freedom. If that's you, will you just repeat after me and really celebrate Palm Sunday correctly by giving your life to God? Here's the prayer and just repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior, my King for all. I know that you died and that you rose again, uh, rose again three days later so that I may have eternal life with you. And I ask right now that you anoint me with your Holy Spirit and teach me more about your word and about following your son, Jesus. I ask that the Holy Spirit just engulf us right now and let us learn to walk in your favor from this day forward. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully you get something out of this. If you have some questions or concerns, write it on the care card on our website or email us and we'd love to get back to you. Have a great Palm Sunday. Go out and celebrate the Lord and love people one person at a time, but do it social distancing.
God bless you. Have a great day.